I can put a hash of that on blockchain so that anybody can go back and make sure that whatever I downloaded is exactly what I downloaded, it has not been changed. Right? So we think that blockchain is a really useful tool to verify provenance of the data. Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hello, Cryptnauts. This is Edu. I am here at the Coinvention in Philadelphia. It's a special episode of Big Cryptic Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Raj Sharma. He is the CEO of HealthWiz. And welcome to the show, Raj. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Great. And, and see the energy in the hall and, and in the sessions as well. Yeah, it's quite amazing talking to so many people who are interested and passionate about blockchain cryptocurrencies. So Raj, why don't why do we start by giving a little bit of introduction about yourself and maybe also talk a little bit about what, what is HealthWiz? Certainly. So HealthWiz is a two-year-old startup in the healthcare blockchain space. And what we have built and deployed, which you can download from Apple Store and Google Play, is a digital file candidate for your medical records. That is one of the key features of our platform, but there are other things as well, which essentially are there to engage the end users to get control of their health, get control of their health records, and then be able to participate in a health data marketplace and get rewarded for their inputs, such as data and other things. That's really interesting. So I want to come back to that later. But first, I want to go back, you know, take a step back, maybe, I don't know, five years, ten years. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how do you come up with the idea of HealthWiz and how did you get into this space in the first place? Yes. So this is my third startup. And in the, I don't have a healthcare background. I actually come from a telecom background. Okay. And in the world of telecom, there was one company, which is what I founded, that was doing distributed processing similar to what Skype does for voice over internet traffic. And essentially, we took a concept similar to that and brought it into the enterprise space and applied it to the call center market. So we were doing distributed call processing in the call center market for voice over internet traffic. That was my previous company. And then I founded HealthWiz. So it was very natural for me and my CTO, who had also worked with me as my previous startup, to start looking at how do we apply these principles of distributed processing to healthcare. And healthcare was something that we were attracted to because of where the technology adoption was. We just saw a tremendous amount of opportunities, including things like IoT, for example. How do we connect all these devices, wearables, home medical devices, to a distributed system and then process that? So that's how we came to healthcare. And given our our legacy experience in building large-scale distributed application, we were naturally attracted to blockchain. And our first attempt was really to take 
data from Fitbit and Withings and Apple Watch and bring it into an application and then have people share it. And then we expanded the scope and started looking at how we can do more than that in terms of medical records as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think one of the the interesting I know about healthcare being coming from this background is that healthcare data is very distributed, it's very fragmented, as you know, and there's so many different data vendors out there collecting data from patients. And I used to work for the federal government, and one of the challenges we were trying to get a lot of different data from different vendors, from different sources, we tried to put them together. You can think of like a single source of truth, kind of the same way that blockchain does it, but we're just not doing it very efficiently. So in your opinion, what do you think makes HealthWiz unique in terms of providing a great solution for this problem? We provide the tools and utilities to the end user to be that single point of aggregation and hence single source of truth, right? So we all know that our records are scattered all over the place in different silos, but interestingly enough, it's really the individual who knows where those silos are. The hospital doesn't know that you went and got a genetic test done with 23andMe, or your doctor doesn't know that. It's only you who who knows that you got a test done at 23andMe. You went to this specialist. This is your primary care physician. You went to this hospital because you had an event. So we think that if the individual is empowered with the right tools and right utilities, essentially first, step one, aggregate all these medical records on their phone or you know, mobile devices, then that could essentially become a longitudinal history of your health. And it is a copy of what is in different silos. Mm-hmm. But it is you know, the source of truth that you, know, you have actually copied it from different silos and then you take that and then you can share it with other people. It's almost like the patients taking the control back of their own data and then giving people access to that data, to their providers, to different stakeholders within the healthcare system as opposed to the existing system where everybody has a little bit of piece of information about the patient without the patient having any control. Exactly, so you hit the nail on the head. Today, you know, to a certain extent, many users kind of leave it up to their doctor or to their hospital to maintain, manage, and even control their health records. And as a result, what happens is all these entities like doctor's offices, hospitals, medical labs, they turn around, anonymize that data, and sell it, and that has created a $150, $200 billion market. But I, as the owner of the data, don't get anything out of that. Exactly. So we want to change that, and you know, once I, as an individual, aggregate all my records, then I want to be in a position to say, well, I want to share my records with my doctor, I want to donate it for research, or maybe I want to sell it to somebody who is interested in buying my data. But that's the choice that I make, even on individual pieces of data, and based on the institution. So if it is NIH, for example, who is doing some research on cancer prevention and I have some data that could help with that, I may just donate it without expecting any reward for it. Yeah. On the other hand, if it is a pharmaceutical company that is doing some research, 
I would expect to be paid for the day. Exactly. I think it's about empowering the patients to have their control of their own data, but also incentivizing them to help with the generic benefits of healthcare research, things like that. Speaking of that, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about the incentives, because as you know, blockchain or cryptocurrencies, it's all about the network effects, right? So I guess in this case, how do you foresee what's the network effect of the healthcare health quiz, and how do you make sure that not only patients buy into the system, but also providers, health plans, and all the other stakeholders would also buy into the system to form that effect. You know, most of the people, when it comes to their health, and even their health records, tend to be passive, maybe even lazy. So unless they are provided incentives to do something they're not doing today, they just won't do it. Right? No, There's a lot of inertia. So yeah. yes, it's, it's okay for us to sit here and say, well, if I provided you a, a digital file cabinet, you can pull down your medical records from different sources. But it is, you know, it takes a little bit of effort. How likely are people to do that? Yeah. Not very likely. Again, you know, because you know, this, this has been possible for several years and you know, people have not done it. So I think what is missing is really there is no incentive for people to do it. If I go to walk into a doctor's office, I don't have my records with me. You know, I expect my doctor to have called up the hospital or whoever and gotten my records. Yeah. I don't take on that responsibility. No. I, I don't have an incentive to do it because somebody else is doing it. Now, if there is an incentive yeah. that somebody is giving me to get hold of my records, then I would be more inclined to do it. So that is sort of one facet of incentives, but there are lots of other things. I mean, studies have shown that even in case of things like drug abuse and opioid prices, penalties and sticks haven't worked. But incentives and reward systems have worked. So you can essentially, and, and this is part of our, of our system, that you can practically take any effort or any campaign and build it into the platform. So for example, if you're trying to address the opioid crisis, you can form a group of people and incentivize them to take something that is in lieu of the opioid, right? another alternative, so that they can get off of that addiction. But again, that would require incentives. And we think that over not just opioid crisis and not just for your health records, but there are so many things that you can achieve through incentives. You know, people walking 10,000 steps every day, or I, with my co-workers setting up a challenge that says I need to you know, walk 10,000 steps every day or five miles every week, and I compete with my peers without anybody else's involvement, we set up a little prize, whoever walks the most you know, gets that prize. It's all sort of competitions, challenges, uh, coupled with incentives that actually changes behavior. Absolutely, I, it reminds me of my uh, Fitbit challenge. Uh, which I, I did for two weeks, <laughs> which really worked. Uh, during that two weeks, I definitely tried really hard to be my friends and coworkers. But yeah, I mean, going back to your point, it's all about the incentives, changing humans' behavior. So I want to go back to another point you made just before we, we started the podcast. We were discussing the kind of the application of blockchain, especially in the different contexts, whether it's the enterprise context or, or whether it's the individual consumer, customer level application. What is your take on that? So, you know, we at HealthWiz believe that the adoption of blockchain in healthcare is going to happen 
organically at the consumer level before it actually happens at the institutional level. And we think that we can make this possible if we actually hide the complexity of blockchain and cryptocurrencies from the user. So today, in our platform, for example, there is blockchain being used, but the user never you know, sees that. Yes. Uh, there, there is a cryptocurrency reward, but the user never sees that. What the user sees is that they are getting rewards points. Yeah. Just like American Express points or frequent flyer points. So that's how they view the whole incentive system. But the reality is that the whole incentive system is based on blockchain and cryptocurrency. We've made the interface completely transparent to the user in terms of, well, they don't see you know, that blockchain is being used, but right. essentially all these challenges and competitions and the fact that you are sharing data with someone are all part of smart contracts. And when those contracts are fulfilled, there is a trigger, you know, rewards points flow from the sponsor's wallet to the user's wallet. Yeah. And that's all the user sees is rewards points flowing into their, into their wallet. It's kind of like users using the internet without realizing TCPIP. You know, they don't need to have understanding of it in order to be surfing the internet. Exactly. And, you know, if, and, and we think that for the institutions to use blockchain, it's going to be a pretty, pretty uphill battle. And you know, I don't mean to be harsh when I say this, but today institutions have a hard time keeping their firewall straight. <laughs> you, you see the number of breaches that happen every week in hospitals and different systems. I just think that for them to now say, okay, we are going to use blockchain and potentially share data using blockchain, and you know, it, it's just, you know, I think it's going to be a really hard sell to, to institutions. Now I know there are ways to share data, but even then, you know, you are, because of HIPAA and everything else, even if you, if you have a private permission blockchain, mm -hmm. to share your patient's medical data where other institutions can see it, I think that's, that's asking too much. Yeah. And, you know, you're giving up a lot in terms of security and privacy. Healthcare is such a different animal from the other industries where the data is so well protected yeah. and also fragmented and it's also very sensitive. So there's a lot of challenges around how do you move the data, how do you transfer the data in a secure way without jeopardizing the privacy of the patients. So in that sense, I, I totally agree that on the enterprise level, there are a lot of challenges. Granted, there are already some solutions out there like Definity, uh, which is like decentralized internet, essentially trying to break down this firewall or just basically making the firewall unnecessary in that case. However, at the same time, there's still a lot of technology, technological challenges before we can get there. So, speaking of which, I want to kind of talk about, we'll be talking about the positive things so far, right? So, I want to kind of just take a step back and be a little bit more realistic. What do you foresee as the biggest challenge for you guys in the next two or three years? Again, okay, I think it goes back to, you know, our challenge obviously is adoption. So, you know, we need to get our platform being used by thousands and millions of end users. And that's a, you know, that's a tough challenge. There are literally millions of mobile health applications out there. You know, what is it about HealthWiz that people are going to adopt it and use it? And, you know, we, we think we have done a great job in terms of simplifying the user interface, but I think there's a 
it can be done. You know, you can we can do even better, right? So, right now, for example, one of the things that we do have on our application is a digital wallet. Okay. Now, the digital wallet it basically holds rewards points, but we expect the end user to take care of that wallet, and that's new for for a lot of users for the crypto community. They realize that if they lose the phone or they lose their phone gets destroyed, whatever is in their wallet is gone unless they, you know, put it in cold storage or whatever. Yeah. Average user doesn't know that. So, you know, for us, we give all kinds of warnings to write down that seed phrase. Uh-huh. But, the, but the fact that the user has to deal with seed phrase is a hurdle we think. Yeah. That's... And especially, you know, when it comes to healthcare, where you know, people really are looking at their health records when they are 65 or 70. So it's a different demographic. Yeah. And for them to deal with seat phrases and wallets and you know protecting that and and all that, it, you know, it's still it's still an education that, that that they have to go through. Yeah, I can imagine a 70-year-old grandpa reading through the seat phrases, trying to figure out what is that word? What should I put into this this crypto thing? You know. That indeed can be a challenge. I think part of it it has to do with education. Yes. How do you educate your audience or your customers that this is what you have to do in order to protect your data? Because this will be, if you think about it, there's no banks, there's no like central authorities to bail you out. Right. right? You have to rely on yourself. So it's all about the the sovereign kind of the the, the self identity. How do you protect everything, making sure it's secure? Because really, there's no backup there. Yeah, so if you know somebody either loses their phone or the phone gets destroyed, our users there is no one eight hundred number they can call and help with <laughs> to restore their wallet because we don't have that right. information. So, and and we go through a pretty elaborate process when people configure their wallet and we try to make it as easy as possible. We don't even call it seat phrase; we call it a secret sentence. Okay. So that you know. Because it makes it a little bit more sense. Like yeah, people know. Way. Yeah, secret phrase, secret sentence. People kind of relate to that. If you say seed phrase, then people start wondering about what a seed is. What a, so we've done a lot of things to, to make it as simple as possible. But I think over time, whether it's through biometrics or, or other means, I think there is an opportunity to make it even simpler mm-hmm. because that's what will increase adoption at any age at any demographic level. I agree. So, just to take a step back, I want to kind of look at the general atmosphere of the crypto community or the blockchain community. Maybe just take like a thirty thousand foot view. Where do you think we are right now in terms of development and also in terms of community engagement? What do you think we should do to make things better? Well, I think we have come a long way in the last two years, and so. There has been a lot of progress made in with respect to blockchain itself. So I'll leave leave aside the whole cryptocurrency market and where it is. Yeah. But as you know, when it relates to blockchain, I think we've made a lot of progress. Although, you know, I was at a conference very recently, and somebody asked, you know, are there any real live production implementations of blockchain? And there was a room of um, 70, 80 people from the industry. And it was, you know, all healthcare, and I was the only one who raised his hand. So I think that, to me, that was a real surprise because I thought that there would be a lot of other people like us 
who have something in production deployed. Right. So that was a that was a, you know, a little bit of a surprise for us that people are still in MVP mode. You know, the minimum viable. They're still building MVP or even POC or, or, or concept or, or POC. <laughs> so so there's a lot of that and. I think the next sort of big step for all of us to take is how do we actually productize this? And you know, this is not trivial. Not everybody can build a large, scalable product, right? So the team at HealthWiz has that experience. You build large, scalable systems, so we are pretty comfortable with you know deploying something, scaling it over time. I think that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for a yeah. lot of folks in the industry. But again. It's a matter of maturity. You know, sure. it, will, it will happen. But that's that's where we are. I think the train has definitely left the station. Blockchain is going to happen. Yeah. I don't think anybody can really say with certainty where it's going to happen and you know where the greatest adoption is going to be. Yeah. Our belief is that it's going to be on the consumer side, but we could be surprised like a lot of other people. But everybody recognizes that this is a useful technology that can that has a big impact on healthcare and in some cases there there are people who are still looking for use cases so you see this almost like a tiered or layered system where some people are still getting educated on blockchain some people are looking for use cases some people have built mvp you know and, and prototypes and then very few companies like healthwares have actually put something in production so I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate here for a sec here. So you mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of use cases where we can talk about using blockchain. But from the outsider or skeptic's perspective, they're going to be like, oh, why do, you, why do you need blockchain? Why don't we just use a distributed ledger, you know, where everybody has a copy of the data? What makes blockchain necessary in order to implement your product? How do you respond to that? Yeah, so I'll talk specifically with respect to healthwares and how we use, how we must use blockchain in order to achieve what we are trying to achieve. So number one is the fact that, you know, when a user downloads a copy of her medical records from an EHR system at a hospital or, you know, a medical lab or, or her genetic, raw genetic data from a genetic lab, and let's say that that data is eventually bought by a pharmaceutical company who's doing research. So how does a pharmaceutical company trust that the user has not tampered with that data? We could log this into a conventional database, but then the problem is it could be tampered with. And the user could tamper it, you know, the user could herself tamper it, somebody who's managing that database could tamper it. I think for us to use blockchain to verify the provenance of the data that she downloaded is really, really critical. So if I download it as a user, my medical records from Fairfax Hospital, at that time, if I can put a hash of that on blockchain so that anybody can go back and make sure that whatever I downloaded is exactly what I downloaded, it has not been changed. Right? So we think that blockchain is a really useful tool to verify provenance of the data. So when GlaxoSmithKline is buying the data, they can rest assured yeah. that this data is authentic. It came from Fairfax Hospital that the user downloaded, and that's what the user is selling to, to GlaxoSmithKline. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're using the, uh, the temper-resistance nature of the blockchain to ensure the integrity of the data. And I think that's super 
relevant in this in this day and age, especially in healthcare. Yeah. When we talk about opioid crisis, as you mentioned, you want to ensure how do you make sure the drugs come from a reliable source, and how do you ensure that the prescriptions scripts are not being tempered exactly. with by either providers or pharmacies, things like that. So it's definitely something. There's a lot of use cases behind it. Yeah. I feel like health health is definitely leading the charge in that sense. So that's you know that's one reason. You know, blockchain has a lot of characteristics. We use three of them. Okay. So one is verifying provenance. The second we think is really interesting is this whole gamification. So you have gamification either between users or between you know employers or between payers and users. You have different health challenges, campaigns. How do you incentivize people and make it seamless so they're not getting debit cards or they are not getting checks because they, you know, improve their behavior? How can we make it fun, a game, and get uh, rewarded points just like you get rewarded, you know, points in a game, in a video yeah. game, right? So in order to do that, blockchain provides a very useful infrastructure that says. If such and such conditions are met as part of a contract, because every competition or a campaign is really a contract, so if you met this milestone, you get 50 rewards points. If you get, if you cross the next milestone, you get another 100 rewards points. That thing can be automated pretty easily with blockchain. Right? Can you do it using traditional servers and database? Sure. I think for a company that is starting out. Why would we do it the traditional way, which is more expensive、yeah. and more inefficient than doing it this way, when somebody has already built the infrastructure? That's true. And our users and us have to pay on a transactional basis as opposed to signing up for a subscription. You know, whenever you want to do the transaction, transfer the points from one wallet to the other. There's a transaction fee, but it's at that point in time, it's it's instantaneous. So that's the other reason. The third reason is, and we're not going to be able to do this alone, but can Companies like Healthways come together, along with pharmaceutical companies, and create a marketplace where people can buy and sell medical information. And there are no middlemen, so you eliminate the data brokers, the intermediaries. Which, by the way, again, blockchain is really well suited to do peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Yeah. So, if I, as an individual, can do a peer-to-peer -peer transaction with a pharmaceutical company with no broker involved. I get most of my benefit, as opposed to the data broker getting all the benefits. So this happens again because of this peer-to-peer -peer quality of blockchain. You know, the ability to do peer-to-peer transactions. I think that's a big benefit that you probably wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Yeah, I was going to say on your third point regarding the marketplace where people can exchange their own data, like a market-oriented way. I think that's a brilliant idea. However, having worked in a federal environment, I understand the legal challenge as well. I don't know how Department of Health and Human Services would feel about that, given that they have all the data. They are essentially the monopoly of healthcare data in this world. So, as much as I would like to to think that's promising, I just feel like there's a lot of legal challenges, you know, things like that. So, I think when we're talking about data ownership. And some of the challenges you mentioned with Department of Health and Human Services, we have to talk about Department of Health and Human Services, as well as Office of National Coordinator, which is part of、yeah. Department of Health and Human Services, and also Office for Civil Rights, because all these three 
sort of government entities are pretty clear about what I, as a user, can do with my data. Yeah. And the fact that they are mandating that, and, and 21st Century Cures Act, that I should be able to download my, you know, access and download a copy of my records using APIs makes it really simple for me to do that. And once I do that, I should be able to do whatever I want with it. Because I'm not a covered entity. Yeah. I'm an individual. And HIPAA doesn't apply to me. Right. Right? And once I have the data, I can sell it anonymized or I can sell it identified. Yeah. Maybe some pharmaceutical company will give me more money because I'm willing to sell my data identified. Maybe the price is going to be less because the data is anonymous. But again, I'm making this, those choices right. as a user. And by the way, Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees CMS, you know, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they're providing this Blue Button 2.0 access to people who are using Medicare and Medicaid to download their medical records on their phones or on the I, PCs. I, and I am that. well aware of Blue Button 2.0. Actually, I'm involved in the original version of Blue Button a little bit on the federal implementation side, and I was very excited to see this new program. I think it's it's essentially liberalizing the, the data right. back to the people, yes. you know, if you think about it. Are you guys doing anything with that? I'm just curious. Yeah, we are. So Health is has decided to use FHIR as the standard API yeah. to access data. So we use Blue Button 2.0 and the FHIR APIs to download all the you know, transaction information. Okay. Right? That is available on, uh, on Blue Button 2.0. I see. And then we also use the same FHIR APIs to download clinical information from EHRs. I see. Like Epic and Cerner and Oscars. And as soon as the lab systems like Quest Diagnostics mm -hmm. and RepWorp, they start implementing FHIR, we will use the FHIR APIs to get medical lab reports from there as well. That's so, cool. so essentially, on your phone, and, and we don't store this data in our cloud, this all stays on your phone, you will have a complete history of your medical pain. And it's real time too, right? Because you have the EHR data feeding into the traditional people service data, which is you know much slower compared to the clinical data, it sounds like you're building this this data repository. You know, combining the traditional administrative data with the clinical data, which will hopefully produce a lot of great insights into patients' health status, yeah. payment status, etc. So I think department. I would. My opinion is that Department of Health and Human Services is going to be thrilled about people <laughs> getting control of their data. Yeah. I do feel like they're going in that direction, right? They're, they're trying, compared to previous years, they're trying to open up the, this, this treasure of data, yeah. treasure trove of data to the public, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's good for you, it's good for the public to be able to consume the data and then make, put it to good use. You know, I would say that what they can do to really help the consumers if they somehow can stop the EHR companies as well as providers and payers to sell our data to data brokers. Because the way it is being done today is they anonymize our data and then they are able to sell it. If you know, Department of Health and Human Services or Office for Civil Rights can put a stop to that, it will be great for the consumers because then the only place you can get data from would be consumers. Then, yeah. And so that's what is, I think, missing. If they can do that, that'd be great. Yeah, unfortunately, we're still 
being bounded by these government regulations. So we can't until that day we truly liberalize our own data. We we'll have to wait. So. Okay, so I think uh, we covered most of the questions I wanted to ask. So I guess one last question I want to get your insights on before we go is: Where do you see the community? Well, whether it's the blockchain, cryptocurrency community, where do you see the community five years from now? I think you know one of the biggest losses that blockchain has, and, and this, I'm not sure this has happened before as it is happening now, which is the support of community. You know, it's really, really impressive. I come from a telecom background, you know, big move and movement around standards, right? In, in case of blockchain, you don't have formal standard setting bodies like IETF and, you know, ITU that you have in telecommunications, right? We tend to be a little bit more rigid, more hierarchical. Here, the community, from a consensus stand, forms a consensus and comes up with sort of you know, loose standards, if you will, if you can even call them standards. And then, you know, if the community adopts it, it becomes sort of the way to act and, and move forward. So I think that's that's great, and I, I hope that that even five years from now, that's what continues. That, you know, that mode of operation continues, and hopefully, big companies won't come in with an army of people and processing and money and resources and essentially dominate communities. Yeah. Because that's sometimes that tends to happen is you you know people with sort of the purest of intention start a community, it becomes successful and then commercial interest, big business comes in. You know it's it's kinda of like maintaining the open sources nature of the of this of these protocols exactly right like Bitcoin started out as a, a really small open source project. It just grew through organically over the past almost 10 years. So I think it's something that hopefully that will continue. And I personally, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. And it sounds like you are as well. Yes. Yeah. And you know there are lessons to be learned here. I think you know IBM and it at one point tried to dominate the open source Linux right. code, but I think they realized that was not a smart thing to do. Yeah. And now we have Linux, which is you know the most successful open source that's out there. Yeah, I think we should see a lot of those kinds of things in the world of blockchain, like Linux. Well, Raj, this has been a really fascinating discussion with you. Thank you so much for joining us for the show. One last thing before we go for our audience, if they would like to find out more about HealthWiz, how can they get in touch with you? Well, so you can obviously go to our website. It's healthwizz.com. You can get in touch with me. My email is raj.sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A, at healthwiz.com. We are on Twitter. Our handle is health underscore whiz. There's a Facebook presence as well. So all the social media channels. We have a Telegram channel as well for healthwiz. So different ways to get in touch with us. And then if you really want to get some hands-on experience, you can go to App Store and Google Play and just download the app and start playing with it. That's great. Thank you so much, Raj, for joining us on the show. You did. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keep it cryptic. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to A Bit Cryptic Podcast. A Bit Cryptic Podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor-in-chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, Nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. 
If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.